glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. This is fun. But my name is Justin. If I haven't met you yet, I get to serve as our associate campus pastor. And really what that means is I get to oversee some things from groups to outreach here locally and some things around our facilities and with our team. But if you've been around for a while, you probably recognize me a little bit more as the guy that used to be up here with the guitar leading every week. And I don't get to do that as much as often anymore, but um, it's been fun to look, about, look back at how that kind of came about over the last year as I, the Lord was working in my heart and I was asking some questions about what's next for my life, what gifts and experiences that the Lord given me that he wants to use for his kingdom. And so I had some conversations with Paul Mumal and with Steve Wallen over the course of the last year. And as I said yes to transitioning out of worship, it really made it easy too, by the way, with the awesome team that we have that leads with Tiffany coming on. And can we give it up for the team, for Matt and Alex and Amanda? It's, it's so much easier to step away from something knowing that it's in really good hands. And so as I said yes to taking on groups and outreach and facilities, I really had no idea kind of what God was doing in the background in Steve Wallen's heart. And so for those of you that don't know Steve, Steve Wallen, he just left our staff. He was serving as our campus pastor here for the last few years and as our executive pastor kind of behind the scenes for more than a decade. And Steve hired me six years ago. My family was really excited to be a part of what God was doing in a disciple-making church. But I'm thankful I get to still see Steve. He's here this morning. I get to see him. I call him friends. And he really is a pastor to me still. So I'm thankful for his leadership, but also how God had his hand in making that transition really seamless. And so... Um, my wife, my two daughters, we came here to Genesis six years ago, excited to be a part of what God was doing through a church that was laser focused on making disciples. And it's really been fun to see and special over the last three years since COVID, how we've kind of shifted a little bit more towards going through some longer series as we spent much of 2021 reading through the Bible and our planted series. In 2022, we read through the book of John for most of the year in our growth series. And this year in 2023, we've been reading through the book of Acts in our series that we call Sent. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 22 today. And you can turn there now if you want to get ready. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. You're more than welcome to go grab one throughout the service. Don't leave today without having access to the Word of God because we truly do believe that this is the main thing that's going to impact your life. And before we dive in to our passages today in Acts 22, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will meet us and speak to us in our time together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are to us, that you sent your son Jesus for us to provide a way for us that we couldn't. And you gifted us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can have a way to communicate with you, to grow with you, and for you to speak to us right where we're at, Lord. I pray that you would do that this morning, that your word would come alive and that you would speak to our hearts, breaking down walls, and that we would leave different than when we came in this morning. I pray that you would do all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're in the book of Acts. It's about two-thirds of the way towards the back of your Bible. And really, it's coined as the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the early disciples. The writer Luke, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and he's sharing these stories that he observes to a specific audience. It's a Gentile audience, and if you're not familiar with that phrase, it just means non-Jewish. And these stories are collections of how the Spirit of God worked through the early church to spread the message of Jesus to the surrounding region. So for many in these stories, this is their first encounter with Jesus, and we see a trend here of massive life change happening around the region that the disciples are visiting. 
So Jesus actually sets the tone for this whole book all the way back in Acts 1. And we're going to read on our screens in Acts 1-8 where Jesus shares with his disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the early disciples, they knew Jesus personally. They walked and spent time with him. And Jesus was essentially saying, like, listen, I'm leaving you with this. I'm going to take off, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now go and share what you've experienced with everybody else that you come in contact with. Now as modern-day believers, we connect with Jesus through the Holy Spirit almost as a conduit for God's presence in our lives. And we see this modeled in Jesus' life and in these stories in the book of Acts. So the stories of these encounters were meant to change the perspective of the audience that Luke was, writing, Luke was writing to, to point to who Jesus was and who we believe he still is. Now, there's a clear command in this scripture. As we look back, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And what's interesting about Jesus' statement, from a historical perspective, everything that the, the disciples knew from the ends of the earth was that Rome was on one end, Egypt was on another, and if we fast forward a few weeks from now to Acts 28, we see Paul will arrive in Rome and share his story of encountering Jesus with not just Rome, but Caesar himself, the leader of Rome. And so the people back in Acts 1 probably realized over these decades of stories that they truly may have thought, we did it, we finished exactly what Jesus said that we were supposed to accomplish, he can return now. But 2,000 years later, we realized the intentional words of Jesus were used in a much broader application that we understand our worldview is much larger now. And here's the good news. Jesus still wants to use our story of his encounter with us to reach the ends of the earth, and he wants you to have your own encounter, and he wants to use your story to impact others. And so this past weekend, my family celebrated a wedding. My sister-in-law got married, and there was a lot of family coming in, and it was a good reminder to me that the world still needs Jesus, and here's why. I have a family member, a cousin, that serves as a missionary, and she spent time in China and in Asia and Indonesia, but now she's at the University of Illinois, and you might be like, why is she there? Well, there's over 27 of the least reached countries for Jesus that meet and travel abroad to be educated at the University of Illinois, and so she has a big passion for meeting with young women that otherwise wouldn't have access to the gospel and to talking about the word of God and is really making an impact there. She shared a story of a, a woman from Saudi Arabia that she spent time with reading the Bible. And when this woman went back to Saudi Arabia, she couldn't take the Bible with her. And so she gifted it to a, a woman from Egypt that now she's reading through the Bible who's made a profession of faith. And this woman from Egypt is concerned about how to try and figure out how she can communicate what God's done in her heart when she returns home because it's not, a, it's not an open country to have these conversations with your family. She has a, a Muslim background, and so going back to her family saying, hey, I experienced this love of Christ and I've got stories to share really is a big hurdle to try and figure out how she's going to communicate to her family. She shared the story of a Vietnamese woman that she's been meeting with that to the same degree is, is worried about when I go back to Vietnam, the police are going to be watching me for two years trying to figure out what indoctrination I've taken on over in the United States. And I can't share my faith just openly with my neighbors. And so this was a good wake-up call for me to remind myself that there's still parts of the world that are unreached for Jesus and that can't openly have this conversation. And for the woman from Vietnam, this was the first time she'd ever heard of Jesus. I think sometimes we can forget 
in our Bible bubble here in the Midwest that Jesus isn't everywhere yet, and he still wants to do a work through us. And you might be saying this morning, I, I could never go to the University of Illinois and get on a platform and share my story and talk to people about Jesus. I just don't have that in me. And it takes work. It takes preparation to be able to get on a platform or have a one-on-one with somebody and be ready to share that news. And so I'm going to share a personal story. There was a time in my life, for those of you that didn't know, that I was in a band. I was touring around the country in my 20s, and I had a very short-lived career in the Christian music industry. My band was signed to a label in Nashville, and I have a little montage I put together for you guys to enjoy from a music video shoot back in the 2000s. All right, listen, you can laugh, and it's fine, but it was 2005, and I know some of you guys have some stories from the 2000s you're not proud of. I've seen your Facebook photos. All the poor kids that are getting photos right now in their senior year are going to look back 20 years from now and be really embarrassed, so we've all got things, right? But... The experience, they brought, brought these interactions with recording studios, with management teams. We did some tours around the nation, recording producers, stylists, which was really weird, marketing execs. And a lot of these were great experiences, but I was the lead singer of this group, and so we would go to concerts, and I often had to talk and set up songs and interact with the crowd, and I was terrible, right? I always had this disease called foot and mouth, where you'd say the wrong thing and you couldn't recover it. And, to the point where our label basically told our manager, they stepped in and said, tell this guy to stop talking. Like, he's hurting more than he's helping. And they would hand my manager scripts that I had to memorize, and they said, you can only say this. Don't veer off too much. That was that much of a risky speaker. And so hopefully we don't have any of those moments this morning. Our staff is really good about reminding me of the things I say that aren't exactly perfect and putting them on little video snippets that they'll put on repeat and send to the staff. And so... um, But I had to practice and practice and learn how to share these stories and connect with different audiences. And really, if you think about it, it was pretty light lifting. It was connecting with crowds that were already there to be entertained and sharing some things about the songs that they already knew. So we're going to talk about this morning about sharing our story. And really, if we're going to share our story about encountering Jesus with the world around us, how much more important is it that we're prepared and ready to share it? Now, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul today. He's going to be sharing his story in his hometown of Jerusalem, and he's been gone for 30 years, and so he's coming back home to share what Jesus did in his life. And we're going to find two things from the Apostle Paul. He was prepared to share his story and was passionate about his encounter with Jesus. But before we get into Acts 22, we talked last week about Acts 20. There's a lot of things that are happening in between Acts 20 and 22 that give us the setup for our story today. And so as I just mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. He's the main character in the second half of Acts. He had the name Saul before he encountered Jesus and changed it to Paul, just so you understand the name references that he's using in his story that he shares. But Saul was a religious leader known as a Pharisee, and this is before he encountered Christ. These Pharisees were Jewish leaders that observed and followed the Jewish law, and arguably they believed in God to the point that they were persecuting all of the followers of Jesus, even unto death, because they rejected Jesus as God. So Paul had left Jerusalem after encountering Jesus, and he spent nearly these 30 years traveling around the region, sharing the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And again, Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. But today, we catch up with him as he's returning home to visit the people that he knew and loved and share this same message of his encounter of Jesus with them. Now, Paul had warned 
had been warned in chapter 21 by some friends, some disciples, and by the Holy Spirit that this wasn't going to go well. His return to Jerusalem was going to be met with prison time. It was going to be rejected, that they wouldn't listen, and he still went anyways. He loved the people there so much, and he knew that they needed to hear the message of Jesus, that even though he was told it's not going to work, he decided to follow through and go anyways. But when he arrives, he's hanging out with some Gentiles, as Paul did, and word gets out that he's been hanging out with them. And have you ever played the game of telephone? If you've got young kids, this was always a hilarious experiment. But where you mention something to them in a whisper, and they say it to the next person and the next person, and by the time the last person gets it, it usually is some obscure message that had nothing to do with the original message, and everybody gets a good laugh. Well, this really is kind of what was happening in the city at this time, is Paul was hanging out with Gentiles, and the rumors had grown so big that the word on the street was that he had brought a non-Jewish person into the Jewish temple. And it was, this was a big no-no, right? It defiled the temple. And so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they gathered a mob to go get Paul. And this mob became so violent and unrested that the Roman guard was called in to break it up. Now, I'm a visual learner. I like to read through the Bible and think about the historical setting as I'm reading it to understand a little bit about what's going on beyond just the words. And so as I think about the Roman guard... If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, and some of you may have not, it's a classic, it's an awesome movie to see, but as I think about them, I think about the opening scene of the movie where Maximus is on this obscure battlefield, and they're trying to beat an army, and you see this big war happening, and I can almost hear Russell Crowe this morning calling out, three weeks from now, I'll be harvesting my crops, imagine where you'll be, and it'll be so, follow me, right? And so if you've had that experience, this is really what the Roman guard is in the story. And so if you can picture that, the same Roman army is an occupation in the city of Jerusalem. And so as the Roman Empire was expanding, the Romans were the ones that carried out the judgment and the punishments for any broken laws that the Jewish people had. So there was this cohabitating happening between the Jewish people and the Romans at this time. So this large mob... They'd found Paul. They're literally beating him up. They're shouting all these accusations at him. They're looking for a chance to kill him. And the Romans have to come in and break it up, very much like our National Guard would here in the States. And a Roman officer arrests Paul, tries to calm things down by pulling Paul, arresting him, and pulling him out of the situation. And then this officer asks Paul about what he's being accused of. And so this is a really important moment in the story because Paul answers him and speaks to him in Greek. Now, Greek was the language of the Romans, and Aramaic was the language of the Jews. And so to this officer's surprise, Paul is talking to him in his native tongue. This probably isn't a normal conversation that happened with the Jewish people. And so this obviously wasn't a normal arrest. And as the officer's trying to figure this out, Paul asks to address the Jewish people in his defense and address the crowd. And this is where we pick up in Acts 22. We're going to read this on our screen. You can open up in your Bibles. We'll start with verse 1. Paul says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. So remember when I just said it was really important that, jo- that Paul spoke Greek? Well, now he's speaking the language of the Jews. He'd prepared for this. He was ready for any interaction he had and ready to speak to any audience. And he knew that it would get their attention as it says they became very quiet. They were ready to listen to him. Now, before we moved to Indiana, my family and I, we lived in Miami, Florida. My youngest daughter was born there, and it was such a sweet time with this different culture, but really, 
Miami's its own country. The second you drive into Miami-Dade, you're not in Florida anymore. You're definitely not in Kansas anymore. And English is a second language. And I moved there to work with the church, but we worked with a lot of Cubans and Venezuelans and Brazilians. And unbeknownst to me, they all speak different languages. Some speak Spanish, some speak Portuguese and Creole. And the Cubans have their own dialect of Spanish, Spanish, I realized, that I had to learn some of these key phrases just to simply be able to speak on their level and break down some barriers. And it pushed me to be extra ready to do ministry, even to sing some worship songs in some of these different languages. And I didn't know what I was saying, but I tried to learn the sounds and some of the tones and vowels to be able to help communicate and break down some of those barriers to be able to talk to the people that we were ministering to. But... This is what I learned. Even if it wasn't perfect, there was appreciation from the people, from some white guy from the Midwest trying to speak in their tongue, and it broke down a lot of barriers. So Paul, he was doing the same thing, and the people became quiet and listened to him. And so we read on in verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And so Paul is giving a resume to anybody that would listen for this crowd of his credibility and why he should be listened to. And he says here, I was just as zealous as you. I was just as passionate about following the law as all of you were. And this isn't a prideful statement by Paul. It's actually him saying, I was passionate about this. I get it. I understand your perspective. And then we read on in verse 4. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council here can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So this is all Paul giving some strong statements of, I arrested men and women. As many of you here can verify, I even put them unto death. And and Paul probably recognizes some faces in the crowd, some friends. This is his hometown. These were people he worked with, some neighbors, maybe some estranged family members that he hadn't seen in 30 years. But we see him shift his defense in this emotional moment and begin to share his encounter with Jesus that had forever changed his perspective. And everything he had done had been building up to this point in his story. And let's read on in verse 6 where Paul says, About noon... As I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Now, Paul's explanation of his encounter with Jesus continued through verse 16, but I want to pause here and remind us that of what I mentioned in our time together, that Acts isn't about just the disciples. It really isn't just about Paul, and I don't believe Paul would have had any idea that our New Testament was going to be filled with his stories or the letters that he wrote to the church following the book of Acts, but it really is his story about encountering Jesus And then the Holy Spirit working through them and now working through us to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, I know some people in my life that are extremely passionate about some things to the point 
where they want to make sure everybody knows about it. If you know anybody that does CrossFit, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about when they hurt themselves by doing too many box jumps. We've got some people in the room that would love to talk to you about running a marathon or their running rhythms. We've got people in the room that love to talk about Disney. I live with one of them. And anybody have anybody in their life that loves pumpkin spice lattes? When that season happened and those, that pumpkin spice came to Starbucks, I saw so many stories full of, I, made my, I got my drink. And I have some people in the room that are weird and drink peppermint mochas all throughout the year too and won't stop talking about it. But the big point here is if we're passionate about something, we're going to share it. And I wonder, as a church, if we were as passionate about sharing Jesus with people as we were our workout rhythms or pumpkin spice lattes, if we'd see more of a movement of God in our cities. But the big point here that Paul is getting at is that he was sharing his story as this. You must encounter Jesus. That was the central theme of what he was building to. He had encountered Jesus, and his life was never the same. There was no turning back for Paul. He left everything he knew and all the comforts of life behind to pursue this new mission. So many of you today, you've encountered Jesus, and I pray your life has never been the same. But for some this morning, I wonder if the thing that you've been lacking in life, the joy and the peace that you're searching for, is that you haven't had a true authentic, life-changing encounter with Christ. Because if you had, your life shouldn't be the same. An encounter with Jesus, it changes how you look at the world, how you think, how you act, how you speak, really how you live in every area of life. And it doesn't mean that it changes overnight, but it's a process where the Holy Spirit takes root in your heart and brings you conviction and guides you to think and, and bring things to the surface that you need to eliminate out of your life so you can look more like the person of Christ. And we see here with the Pharisees that are throwing all these accusations at Paul that you can grow up in church, you can be a religious person, you can be a good person, you can even believe in God and not be living a life that is following Jesus. The Bible says in James 2.19, we're going to read this on our screen, that you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. And so this statement comes out of this scripture that just because you believe in God doesn't mean that you've encountered Jesus. The Jewish people, they believed in God, and they actually rejected Jesus as God. Why? Because the truth of Christ is offensive. We live in a society around us that the truth of Christ is countercultural. We live in a world where you hear phrases like, live your truth. What matters to you is what matters the most. Where society used to be a moralistic society, now it's this highest level of whatever is true for you, do it. And the message of Jesus really is counter to that spirit of the world that we're broken in need of saving, right? That you're not perfect and whatever you live your life like is just good for you, but we're broken in need of saving. And if this world is going to be redeemed, it needs to encounter Jesus. I think the Jews of the time... And still some to this day were so offended by Jesus because to accept Jesus as God meant this radical heart surgery that they needed to look at themselves and everything that they'd been accomplishing and that their truth was no longer good enough. He was rejected as God because they expected something different. They wanted a king, not a servant. They believed in God and his promised Messiah, but rejected Jesus because it truly meant that they had to look at themselves. And we see these eerie similarities happening between Jesus 
at the end of his life, and Paul, where Jesus taught in the synagogues and he knew scripture and he was trained in the scriptures and he was accepted as a teacher until he began saying statements like, I'm Messiah, and they rejected him. And we see Paul similarly as a Pharisee was accepted and taught in the synagogues and knew the scriptures and was rejected when he said, Jesus is God. Both were tried and arrested. Both were facing death. But there's also something we see emerging that Jesus modeled as well, which they weren't just worried about their comfort. They weren't just worried about making friends. They were worried about sharing the story of their encounter with Jesus and how it changed their life. And we see Paul being ready as he shares his encounter that he'd been preparing to share his story. So I want to ask you this this morning. What is your encounter with Jesus? And how would you share that with others? Over the next few weeks, we're going to read where Paul shares his story again and again to the governor of the area and to Caesar himself. We'll see how he changes his approach based on his different audiences. And it's pretty neat to notice those slight differences as you read ahead. But I want to slow down this morning and share a little bit of my story. I grew up in Ohio, and some of my earliest memories were of my mother taking me to church. And I grew up in a a church that was a very charismatic Pentecostal environment for any of you that grew up similarly. I attended Bible college there. And when I say charismatic, I don't mean just a little loud, but I'm talking televangelist level, tongue talking, buck and run, shout and sweat. I mean, crazy church. It was an amped, exciting environment to be in. But sadly, amidst the obvious work of the Holy Spirit, I saw some things that weren't very godly. And it was in this season of Bible College, of all places, that I was confronted with what I call the red button season of my life. At 21 years old, you think red button, stop the machine, stop the presses, shut it down, the kill switch. This was a time for me of questioning of my faith. Do I believe any of this? Is this something that I really experienced? Was I caught up in emotionalism? And here's why. I realized that what I had heard on Sundays or even experienced up to this point, didn't always line up with what I was reading in the Word of God. I saw what many of us see, that many Christians proclaim something with their mouth and live a very different life. I saw spiritual abuse. I saw dictator-level domineering over different people and manipulation of things from finances to authority to the point where I saw it start to wreck my family. I'd quit Bible college at this point. I was working at a data center, and I was surrounded by different religious backgrounds from Mormonism to Hindu to Islam and started to see that these people live their faith a lot more with conviction than some of the Christians that I know. And so I was around these Christians that were great at coming on Sunday to the praise party and looking the part, but just as open to taking part in a manner of vices on Saturday night as long as they could come in Sunday morning and look the part. And so I had to ask for forgiveness and spent the next two years asking questions and reading about these different belief systems only to find flaws everywhere except in Jesus. And so maybe you're on your own journey searching today. Maybe you're here this morning asking these same questions. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you feel like you have the information but you haven't had that heart encounter today. I want to be clear with you. The Jesus in the Bible doesn't always look like the Jesus in the church. Humanity's flawed. People are flawed, but Jesus isn't. Now, in 2003, two years on this searching journey, I had an encounter in this season. I can't point to one moment. I can't point to some date that I've written down where I found my way back to God. But in this season, I came back to Jesus and realized that 
I had left, but Jesus never did. He gave me grace to walk through these seasons and ask these questions. And I found hope and truth in the Bible that was new for me. It wasn't just molded from a flashy sermon on a Sunday that I heard from some preacher somewhere, some best-selling book. But it was a genuine, grace-laced, holy Jesus that emerged from Scripture. Not a legalistic, earn your own, your faith is on your own shoulders. If you mess up, you're damned. It was a kind of come-as-you-are, Jesus, and I'll finish the work. My life was never the same. It wasn't perfect along the way. I still make mistakes, but my life never was the same. So that's my story. I know some of your stories, but I don't know everyone's. And so I say all that because often when we talk about your story, everyone has a now I see moment. But if you've grown up in church, maybe there was never a moment where you didn't believe or you can remember not following Jesus. And I would say that there's still beauty in that story because we are born broken and Jesus redeems. And whatever your story is, You've avoided so much mess in your life if you followed Jesus from an early age, but there's glory in that story, and you still need to share it with someone. Maybe this, is, this morning your encounter with Jesus hasn't been written yet. I can tell you that if you encounter Jesus, you can't help but share the story, and you'll never be the same. And so you haven't, if you haven't experienced that yet, this is a good heart moment. Just like I did at 21 years old, if you're still searching, still asking questions, really, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I want to offer you this, because this was my story. If you seek the Lord, I believe that he will meet you. If you genuinely search the scriptures and pray that the Lord would reveal things to you, and you're open-handed about the, the Bible and the approach, not just with skepticism or cynicism, I believe that the Holy Spirit has an encounter with Jesus ready for you, maybe even this morning. And even in the hardest circumstances of your life, just as we sing the song, there's nothing that our God can't do. There's no mountain he can't move, no prison wall he can't break. I believe that there's no heart that's hard enough that God can't break through it and reveal himself to. There's no circumstance of messy past that's messy enough that God can't clean it up and put his light through. And so this is the million-dollar question for the morning that I want you to ask yourself. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And if you have, who are you going to tell about it? Because we see clearly in Scripture we're commanded to. And Jesus says that we will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That could be the ends of this street, the ends of Noblesville or Fishers, the end of Indiana. Wherever it is that God placed you, there's an end that he wants to use you in. So who are the people in your life that have not yet trusted Jesus? This is the next question of the morning. Who in your life is it that God would have you share your story with? And then are you ready to share your story? Sharing your story at first starts with knowing your story, and God wants to use your story to help someone else's story begin. Now, last week, Paul Mumal shared that we did a series a few years ago called My Way Back, and it was rooted in our mission statement, which is helping people find their way back to God. And this mission statement helps us keep laser focused on the fact that we are called to make disciples that make disciples. And everyone has their My Way Back story. And there were a couple of different points that we tried to equip our church with to help you figure out an application and revisiting your story and being prepared to tell it. And I hope these are helpful today. I'm pulling them back from that series that what was my life like before Christ? How did you meet Jesus? And then how has your life looked different since following Jesus? Now, while you take a moment to think about these questions for your own personal story, 
I want to close with sharing one more story, and that's the story of Fanny Crosby. Now, in 1820, this is an Indiana story in Huntington, Indiana, of all places, there was a songwriter by the name of Fanny Crosby. At two months old, she had an eye infection and became blind from some bad medicine, and then her father died shortly after. And so this left her mother having to work to keep things together and left her with her grandmother. Now, her grandmother would read scripture to her, and Fanny would memorize these passages, and yet she still didn't come to faith until 30 years old. Now, Fanny's quoted as saying this statement that I love, which is, it's not enough to have a song on your lips. You must also have a song in your heart. And so the heart is where everything starts. And there's some similarities here with Paul and Fanny as well. And I'm sure she would have loved to, but Fanny didn't get to change her name like Paul. But we both, we both see them instructed in the church, memorizing scripture, knowing the word, and having an encounter at 30 years old. And then something happens after that encounter because just as Paul shared his story with everybody he came in contact to, Fanny was credited with writing over 9,000 hymns about her experience with the Lord from that point on. And in 1873, she was with a friend who had a, a melody and she was inspired to write these words that you might know that just simply say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story, this is my song praising my Savior all the day long. You might have heard these words over the last hundred or so years at church. I don't know if anybody is in here that's that old yet, but you get there. But the theme of this song is grace. It's this forever grace. It's not grace that we earn, but it's that our hope and joy is in Jesus and that nothing we can do can tear us from his grace. And as we've talked about this morning, that encounter Jesus, encountering Jesus is the start. That The Holy Spirit then begins a work in us. And Jesus promises to finish this work in us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so where we get to play a part in it, I'm so thankful that it's not just on us, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit do the work in us. And so we see this exclamation happen in verse 3 of this hymn where it says, Perfect submission, all is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. I'm watching and waiting, looking above for Jesus' return. But I'm filled with his goodness and lost in his love. There's something joyful in her writings that she can't just help but write about. This is my story, but it's about Christ in me and the grace that he gives us that I can't help but share. So again, have you experienced the joy and love of Jesus this morning? If you haven't, I'm going to be up here at the end of our service. I would love to talk with you, to pray with you, answer any questions that you have and have a conversation. But for everybody else here that you've already encountered Jesus, I hope this is a wake-up call to you that there's a need. And I hope you'll find some time this, this week to think about your story, work on it, and be prepared to share it. And I'm going to pray this morning, and this is a big prayer, that you would have opportunities this week that you would recognize to share your story with someone that needs it. Not only just to have the words to say, but have the heart to say it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would move in our lives, that you would reveal the truth of the details of our story that are particular to us, that we would find a renewed passion 
and strength to be able to recognize opportunities with maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, maybe it is an old family member that already knows they think our story, but they haven't heard us be excited about sharing it. Lord, give us the opportunities to be able to speak, to know when to listen, to know what to share, and guide us through your Holy Spirit as only you can. I pray that you would be with us this morning as we sing. It's in your name we pray. Amen.